Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from just outside of New York City and from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? How's your vacation going, Andrew? Very nice. Very nice. I'm at home. We're doing a lot of housework. A lot of things around the house. It's not exciting. And uh, that's all I have to say on the matter. Is this what they call a staycation? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Although I did have a, uh, a family reunion over the weekend. Oh. Down the Jersey Shore, which was that's great. That's nice. Cousins, uncles, yep. everybody. All, all my cousins from my mom's side of the family. Not all, yeah. but a big number. Is that the side you despise? or <laughs> I don't despise any side of my family. You're a monster for even suggesting that. Well, I, we all have one side we prefer, let's be honest about it. Is that true? No. Actually, it's not. I just thought I'd yeah, try and stir the pot. You, no, I'm I believe deflect- that you have now said what you feel, but you're quickly trying to cover yourself. No, I'm, I'm just deflecting. See how long we can go without talking about the unpleasantness yesterday. Oh, oh, so that's what's happening here. I see. No, I dealt. I dealt. Well, I, I refer to, of course, Liverpool's um, yeah, unpleasantness for who at Old Trafford. Oh, pleasantness. Uh, I, this this should be called the, the the title is easy for this one. This is the Schadenfreude pod. Uh, my Freude is very much shaddened today, Andrew. I have a prediction. Yeah. If United click back on and become United again, mm-hmm. and Liverpool enter some sort of, you know, their their time is up phase. Like not just this year, but like for the foreseeable future. Sure. My prediction is this podcast will cease to exist three years from now. You see, that is where you're wrong, mm-hmm. because uh, and it's, and it's where people get it wrong. They get they get it wrong a little bit. I suppose wrong is not the right word, but I enjoy when United lose. But nothing I say about United isn't like from what I think about where they're at. Like up until yesterday. Nothing I said about United has been wrong. Absolutely nothing. And even yesterday, in some ways, you know, dropping Ronaldo, uh, Harry Maguire taking the seat uh, has been has been kind of like vindicated. So I don't think the podcast is st- would stop because of that. I think that's what you'd like people. That's the narrative you'd like to set about me to people. Um, I honestly think if Tottenham were to be relegated, there's much more chance that this podcast goes into the toilet. JJ. If I survived the Mourinho era, I can survive anything because I supported him. I was wrong. I heard about it, not just from our listeners on a weekly basis, but from you constantly. They'd score five goals and you would tell me should have been seven. I couldn't win. It was torturous. If I could survive that relegation, what do you think? I could survive that. I can survive absolutely anything. I believe what's the August 23rd, August 23rd, 2025. That is the potential final date of this podcast. <laughs> Enjoy us while you have us. And you know what? At that, at, be right at, before the U.S. hosts a World Cup, too. If you could only hang out just a few more months, JJ. Oh, we're not making the U.S. Oh, God. Just wow. a few more months. By the way, there's so much more to talk about. Um, not that I am trying not to talk about yeah. Manchester United's win over Liverpool. But uh, there is so many other things to talk about from yeah. the weekend. I, we're not, I, I we're think... not even going to start there. No, I well, we're not going to start there because I did the rundown because you're on vacation. And in my mind, I was like, there will be a mini freak out amongst our American listeners if we don't begin in Yankshire. 
What a day. What a day at Ellen Road. Leeds United 3, Chelsea nil. Um, boy, I have so many thoughts on this. I guess my initial one, though, JJ, is just like from the, the broad perspective of just like how weird is this sport where like Chelsea can look the way they looked a week ago and then have this happen to them against what we deem to be an inferior side. It's just a very, it's just a very weird game sometimes. Yeah. I I think there was a lot of that going around. It certainly was at Old Trafford, Mm -hmm. certainly at St. James's Park games, which we'll get to. And it, it started at Ellen Road on Sunday. Um, and that's why I think it's been a really exciting start to the season because while I wouldn't say there's, it's too early to talk about parity or it's too early to talk about, you know, the league is going to be much more exciting this season because of X or Y, but the start to the season has lent itself to this kind of result. And let's be honest as well, not just Chelsea and, and the, the Tottenham, the excitement of the, the Tottenham game last weekend, the Derby, but like Leeds came into this one and okay, they'd won their first game against Wolves, but they'd put in a, a kind of a so-so performance. They'd blown a 2-0 lead against Southampton. So like, I, I think there was a lot of people fancied Chelsea to not blow them away, but, but to, to, to beat them on Sunday. And, and Leeds looked, Leeds looked, uh, they outran them. They out hassled them. They outplayed them. Um, Leeds looked a completely transferred, uh, transformed side, even from the performance they put in. I know they won against Wolves on the opening day, but for large periods of that game, Wolves were the better side. I mean, Leeds United fans will tell you that. This was, uh, this was a superb performance by Jesse Marsh's men. Yeah, it really was. And I mean, I think the word that you would use to kind of sum up the performance from them was relentless. And, you know, obviously they're taking their cues from their, their manager. It's how he wants to play this, this high pressing style that when it works, it can just destroy teams when it doesn't, it can leave you vulnerable and open, but boy, did it work for Leeds United on the day. And, and if relentless is the word, yes, Marsh is part of that, but I mean, really it's, it's Aronson. Like this is, it's the number one word that we've used to describe him since he kind of burst onto the scene with the union uh, and with the U.S. and now here uh, again in Europe, he is relentless. He does not stop. It's why I said a few weeks ago that they are going to love him there uh, because not only is he just this. I mean, what was it that uh, there was a, somebody from the U.S. Is it Weston McKinney that referred to him as a gnat? He's just this annoying gnat. He doesn't stop. They will love him for that. They will love him even more if he's scoring goals and if he can combine the two in one act like he did over the weekend, they will love him blindly for years to come, or as long as he's there. Uh, that goal, that goal, it's just such a Brendan Aronson type of goal, just relentlessly annoying and pestering the defense. By the way, after he gave away possession, which makes it kind of even more of a Brendan Aronson goal, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean it in the, like, never hangs his head, never gives up on a play. He gives it away, it gets back, passed back to the keeper, and he's on it. And he steals it, puts it in an empty net. Uh, what a what a great moment for Leeds, and what a great moment for him. Yeah, I, my favorite moment was when he put Koulibaly in the spin cycle. You've seen Koulibaly come out of the center, and you're like, no, 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 no. I like I hate seeing center halves to make those kind of those those darts, those kind of PlayStation moves to go and win the ball. And Aronson just absolutely span him. 
and like skillful wise as well. I mean, it's easy to extol the virtues of hard work, persistence, never say die. This is all the kind of stuff that's kind of cliched American stuff. Uh, and it is true and it's absolutely necessary to be a top class player to have those attributes. But it's his skill, Andrew, his his comfort is comfortability a, a word? Sure. How, why not? Well, why not? His comfortability on the ball, his his first touch. Um, now, he does tire. Of course. Like the second half, I thought Marsh could have hooked him a little bit earlier because he seemed gassed. But uh, yeah, it was it was a pre- absolutely brilliant performance by them. Um, but just to not just to to focus on um, Aronson, but to look at what Jesse Marsh did, and I thought there was a really interesting tweet from our friend Michael Goodman. Scoring moments aside, it really was incredibly impressive that Leeds managed to consistently blow up the careful control machine of Tuchel's Chelsea and make the first half so chaotic. I mean, that's what you have to do. Control is going to be a theme when we talk about both Chelsea and Manchester City. And Tuchel, basically, if I bring you back to Leeds' first game, there was one main concern from the Leeds United supporters that I spoke to was, if we can't play out from the back, from the keeper, play through the press, we're in trouble. And so... For the early stages of the game, particularly in or around the, the disallowed goal from Sterling, Tuchel was controlling where Leeds could go and what they and what they could do a little bit. And that's where Chelsea's kind of purple patch, if you want to call it, came in this game. Mm-hmm. And the point at which Tuchel argued afterwards that they should have gone on and won the game was was from from that time. But Marsh, Tyler Adams in particular, Rocca. Their ability to to break that up, to stop that, to completely rip apart Tuchel's control and make things chaotic. You know, if there's if there's one thread that kind of goes through a lot of, we'll say, one side of the 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 Jurgen Klopp method or the Bielsa method is that you want to make things chaotic. You want with your pressing, you want to have broken play, balls pinging about, and. Leeds were absolutely able to do that. You did not see the rhythm or the ability that Chelsea had against Tottenham to get slick passing and and patterns going. Leeds wouldn't let it happen. Yeah, and a lot of that is Adams. Uh, six duels, one, three interceptions, four tackles. You know, we when Calvin Phillips left, we talked about okay, how how do they fill those shoes? Well, I mean, it's kind of a two man defensive shield that they have there, but. I mean, you saw what, like, that's what it could look like, what you saw over the weekend. Two key passes as well for Adams to help kind of break Chelsea's lines moving forward and attack the other way. Uh, So he was excellent as well. And it all leads to a question that you posed on the rundown that I thought was was very interesting. Um, You're referring to Aronson, but we can kind of have a bigger conversation off of it. And you said, Aronson, is he now the preeminent U.S. talent in Europe's big leagues? Boy, what a statement. Yeah, what a huge statement that is. Oh, I I think so. So, so let's let you I think mean, so we, that he is. Oh, I absolutely think he is. Wow, I really do. Um, it's hard for well, let me let it's me hard just for do, me to get there just because I can't help but think like if Pulisic was on Leeds, I think <laughs> we'd be seeing a similar thing. Like it's it's hard it's hard to compare. American players who are having a hard time getting in at 
giant clubs versus American players that are starting at smaller ones. It's, it's, I, I can't, it's hard for me to, I guess, like compare those two things. I, I don't know. I'm here. I'm curious to hear your explanation. Well, if, if, if you analyze it in, in this way, so let's say, let's just look at the big, big sites where we have players. So that'd be Chelsea, Leeds, Juventus. Barcelona still at Barcelona. Barcelona, Serginio, Serginio Dest. So let's start there. I mean, they want rid of him, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is a mistake. I, I think he's an incredibly talented player and maybe that's he's a victim of circumstance there. Then you go to Juventus where we're always hearing about Weston McKinney moving on. I know he started against Sampdoria in the nil-nil draw the other day, but it's not like he's established himself at Juve in the way that we thought he would have. Again, maybe a victim of circumstance, a victim of, of trust in the managers, a victim of kind of strange hiring policies at Juventus. And then you look at the marquee player. Our marquee player, our most expensive player of all time was Christian Pulisic, who, who went to Chelsea. And now he is just cutting a forlorn figure. He is coming on at the end really unable to influence the game, not a starter, and they're looking to move him on. He probably will move at some point at the end of this window if the financials make sense. Maybe Manchester United. And then there's Brendan Aronson at Leeds. Now, Leeds are the smallest of all the clubs I've just mentioned there where we have, where the United States have players. But in terms of impact, instant impact coming into the league, in terms of his visibility now in the Premier League and in terms of his importance to that team, he is far head and shoulders ahead of anybody else that we have right now. Now, people say that's been a hostage of the moment. Okay, fine, whatever. But that is a fact. And his performance is now, like, you name any other one of those players, look at the team sheets and you say, oh, well, Dest isn't playing, McKinney isn't playing. You don't bat an eyelid. You certainly don't bat an eyelid when Pulisic play, doesn't play, if Aronson do, suddenly dropped out of the lead squad, you'd wonder what is going on because he's been key to what they've done in the early part of this season. Again, though, the size of the club in something like that matters. It just does. All right. Well, I, 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 well I, he's playing in Europe's Super League. Yeah, no, and I he's understand. starting regularly. I don't. I really don't think he can discount that. And he's young enough that uh, this has been a meteoric rise. So. Here's what's interesting. Like, look, ultimately, while we, I can nitpick, I mean, Aaron, he's obviously in the conversation. You're not crazy for thinking what you think. I don't know that I'm fully there just yet. It's still very early in his time at Leeds, but fine. Fair enough. What's interesting, though, is like from the in looking at it from through the prism of the U.S. men's national team. OK, if we were power ranking American players right now, Brendan Aronson might be number one in the moment. But like looking at the U.S. and this team's actual setup, could you make a case, JJ, that Tyler Adams is actually more important? I feel like there are more guys that like if Aronson, we still don't even know that Aronson would start for this U.S. men's national team. I'm fairly sure we know that now. I mean, I guess (laughs) I'd be fairly confident. Is it Tim Weah who Aronson is going to just through no fault of Weah is maybe Aronson just through by his own great play of late, he might force that to happen. I don't know who else comes out of the starting 11, but to me, it's like, okay, but if Wea is playing there and it's not Aronson, I still feel like we're, they're, they're pretty good in that part of the field. If they lose someone like Adams, I don't feel like they have other guys that do what he does. So well, I agree that Aronson would be number one at top of power rankings, which is kind of just grabbing like a snapshot of this moment. 
But if you could like, if you could assure me that somebody's going to be healthy for this World Cup, I might, I might say Adams first. Yeah, and and you you might be right to say that because he plays in such a crucial position at the base of the midfield. And I didn't mention him, and I should have mentioned him, but I guess the reason I'm not going to mention him is because the things that he he does are not flashy in the same way right. uh, that uh, what Aronson would do. But like, I don't want to get off the, the topic of the game too much by, by discussing this. All I would say is that Christian Pulisic, like, just look at that game now. His, we saw more of him at halftime and full-time in those pressure Volkswagen adverts than we did on the field. That's, he, he had more touches in those adverts than he did for, for Chelsea. And, and that's not a good position to be in. No, when I mean, look, man, I, I laid it out for you. He, it's time. He just, yeah, no, he's you're right. And go. let's, we, we, he's got to go. What, one we, other uh, quick note on Aronson, though, before we officially move off of him. Um, he, I'll say this about him, JJ. It speaks to some of what you're saying, but like, if you look at where the game is at now, specifically in England and the way the game is played, he is like the prototype of what every team is looking for. Sure. I will certainly give him that. These just like energizer bunnies that are just everywhere. I mean, he's been given this freedom now from Jesse Marsh. You see him on the left, you see him on the right, he pops up everywhere. Uh, and he doesn't stop. And, you know, that kind of just like high pressing attacker, every team wants that. Klopp sort of laid down the model. Pochettino, too, with the way Tottenham were playing during his time. Um, and, you know, if, if they're, they're not easy to find guys who just don't run out of energy in that way and are are skillful. Um, so it, it's like when the NBA went through like the three and D craze, which is still going on. It's like, OK, just get me a bunch of good three and D guys and like we can win with that around a superstar player and like. He he's that prototype right now in soccer that just every team wants a player like him. So, I mean, look, he's gotten this opportunity and he's taken the most of it. It's really, it's been, it's been fun to watch. Were they, were they chanting USA at Ellen Road, JJ? I think they were. I think they were. I, mean, I, I also saw Tyler think... Adams at the end of the game. Was, he had the American flag around him as he's going around the stadium. Sure. And I mean, Jesse scene. Marsh. I mean, Jesse Marsh went full on hair rock from the from the late 1980s, like with the with the pelvic thrusts. Well, that that and the- game meant a lot to him. You could tell. I mean, against that opponent, and you know him and Tuchel. I don't know if there's like if there's frostiness there. I have no idea. Um, but like Jesse Marsh made it clear during the week that he, you know, he did not think Thomas Tuchel should be on the bench for that game. He made no bones about that, and kind of a. Uh, would you say it was sort of a smug way? A oh, yeah. Bit? He was, uh, uh, hey, call it soccer or football. I mean, everybody knows you don't get to play the, the next game after a red card. Right. You know, he was very, very bombastic. Listen, Jesse is going to be chatty. I, I don't remember. Maybe I'm misremembering his time at, uh, at, at the Red Bulls because I used to sit behind him in the uh, press box regularly at Red Bull games. Mm-hmm. And he had what I would call a a polite aggressiveness about him. He used to do this thing, and I'm starting to see it again in the Premier League, where he would shout at or or berate the lines, the fourth official. And then when the fourth official would approach him, he put his hands up like, "Hey, like, hey, I'm just asking questions here, kind of." And then he'd stand back and he'd do this whole thing. I'm actually being respectful. I just want to know something. Um, but listen, he's he's had a brilliant start to the season. Yeah. I, like, there were doubts towards the end of last season, considering that you know the relegation. It, it looked like he had he had solved the issue only for them leads to get kind of sucked back into it again. But he kept them up and now he's had a brilliant start to this season. So kudos to him, really. Yeah. Like 
regardless of I I really wish he would say less. You know, don't don't put yourself don't make yourself a hostage to fortune with the things that you say. That's our job. <laughs> but um, but that's his character. I don't think he's going to change. Regarding Chelsea, yeah, um, there was a there was a quote you wanted to read. Yeah, uh, this is from Thomas Tuchel, and it kind of. It's again. It, it comes into our points about control and 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 patterns of play, and what you said last week about how it might be hard. It might be really tough to be a, a successful forward in a Thomas Tuchel side at Chelsea. Here's what he had to say about his role, not the player's role. His role in chance creation. He said, "My job in particular is to create chances and create a structure where we can create chances, touches in the box, and big chances and shots." And that we cannot allow big chances. And I think we did both. So create chances, don't allow big chances. But even doing both, we managed to lose 3-0. So it's a bit tough to analyze. And I was watching him on the sideline. By the way, the, the, the directors of these Premier League games, Andrew, are so good and snappy. When something happens, getting to the manager's reaction really quickly. It, they're, they're geniuses at it. I don't know how they manage it. Um, so Koulibaly has got the ball, Chelsea are in control of the ball and he's got it in the center of the park. And it's clear what Tuchel wants. He wants the ball outside, maybe for the ball to come back inside, but he certainly doesn't want Koulibaly doing a half shot, half chip that goes straight into uh, Messier's hands. And Koulibaly does it. And the minute he does it, Koulibaly's hand goes up and it pans to Tuchel and Tuchel is just like, He's doing his thing that he usually does when Pulisic misses a chance in the Champions League final. He's having a little strop and he's complaining on the sideline. A la Pep. Like, what is going on here? So there are very, very specific ways that Tuchel wants this side to play. And if it doesn't work, they're in trouble. But key also is that the players have to be able to deliver on that. Like, it's very regimented from what I can see and from the way he talks about it. I mean, he's literally talking about set plays. My job in particular is to create chances and create a structure where we can create chances. If you're a, a flair player like a Pulisic in that, or, or there's other players too, maybe even a Mason Mount, maybe even a Kai Havertz. If you are in this regimented structure, it just might not work for you. Why? I think it's a, maybe it's a reason he signed Raheem Sterling because here's a forward who played in a very regimented structure under Pep Guardiola, and I can slot him in here, and he'll understand roles and specifics. And maybe what Chelsea need under Tuchel is more of those kind of robotic style players rather than free spurts like Havertz, Pulisic, Ziyech, and Mount. And maybe that's why the forward line is misfiring. Was Lukaku that too? Yeah, I mean, I, I just, just I, you start to list all these names and it's just like, like I said last week, it's just, are they all bad? Yeah. Can they yeah. all be like, it, they can't all be bad. I mean, if you, if you look a lot at Timo Werner's goals before he moved to Chelsea, running in behind high lines, plenty of space in Germany, slotting past the goalkeeper, Lukaku did the same in Syria. That's not the way it's going to be in the Premier League if you're Chelsea. Teams are going to sit deeper on you and look to break. And that's where you need individualism, not maybe structure so much. Maybe you need that little creative spark and it's just not happening. Anyway, I thought it was interesting that he said that. He also said that Leeds style had nothing to do with anything. I mean, this is... Come on. 
look, Chelsea, you've probably all seen the stats by now. Chelsea ran 6.8 fewer miles uh, than Leeds did in this game. You, I mean, I don't know if that's stylistic necessarily, but you can't tell me that a stat like that doesn't correlate in some way to the way this game was won for Leeds. It, it goes back to what I said about creating chaos. Leeds completely unsettled them in what they did. And Jesse Marsh set them up to do that. It's not a victory lap for Jesse Marsh to say, I thought that he can say, he responded to and said he can say what he wants. Mm-hmm. I mean, he really can't. Chelsea were upset by what um, by what Leeds did. And it was a stark contrast to what Tottenham attempted to do against them last uh, week. So, look, sour grapes. I, I listened yeah. to his press conference. He was pretty dismissive of everyone and anything in that press conference. So he didn't, I mean... Yeah, he's got a little, he might have a little clop in him, a little bit of that kind of sore loser-ish behavior. Plus, I'm I, sure I Marsh's comments during the week un, were a, an annoying to him, if nothing else. And he probably, when this ended and the way it played out and, and Jesse Marsh celebrating wildly on the sidelines during it, he probably just didn't want to give Marsh his due afterwards. And he he was not going to give an inch up to Leeds. He was going to say that, you know, I, I've mentioned this before, that my buddy's older brother, Whenever my friend, my my buddy would beat his older brother in a video game, his older brother would always say, you didn't beat me, I lost. He would never give him that satisfaction. I think Tuchel's got some of that in him. Yeah, yeah, uh, true. And also, you know, um, Tuchel will probably look at Leeds or maybe he looks at Jesse Marsh and his career and thinks, I can't admit that this guy maybe tactically gave me problems. I don't want to do that. Yeah, There's a sore loser in all of us. Oh, yeah. Where are we going going next, by the way, Andrew? Because I feel like... I'm burying the lead in the rundown here. Look, you have, I mean, I can, it's so easy to see your headspace as you were putting this rundown together. You have Newcastle, Manchester City next. I'm sorry. I I have to break from the rundown and we've got to go to Manchester United. I literally suggested you do that. Well, because you you got in my head, you know me so well. You probably, you knew that I looked at that and thought, (laughs) what is he doing? You knew where I was at looking at that. We got to go to to United and Liverpool. 2-1. What a night at Old Trafford. There haven't been too many of those recently, and that was one that they will not forget. A massive victory for Manchester United. They leap Liverpool now. Three points for United, just two on the season so far for Liverpool. Um, Which side of this do you want to start with, United or Liverpool? Because they're both equally interesting to me. Well, look, in, in, in fairness to Manchester United fans who have had to listen to me rightly tell them how bad they've been for 18 months, they should have their day, and we should begin by saying that that was an excellent performance for Manchester United and some excellent shouts from their manager, Eric Ten Hag. Let's start there. It's another one of those, JJ, that I mentioned with the Leeds-Chelsea match. I mean, like a week ago, they're getting smashed by Brentford. Now they're beating Liverpool. It's, this, league is, this league is out of its mind. Um, how'd they do it? How did they do it? I mean, look, the, the start from Manchester United was was pretty intense. They uh Alanga hit the post. Ding 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 ding. The... You said the word. Intense. What's that? You said intense. Oh, okay. Yeah. This this was something that they had uh, a level of intensity that we've just haven't seen from them. I mean, this is a team that lost this uh fixture last season 5-0. <laughs> you know, the performances that they have had have lacked like completely lacked intensity, lacked focus, lacked desire, all those things. And United brought those things to the table. Now, 
there's one thing you should that we should say. These are the basics. These are the things that made it hard to go to Old Trafford for all those years. And the fact that they haven't had them under, certainly didn't have them under Rangnick, didn't have them under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. You know, last, last night was, if there was going to be a night to finally find that fire in your belly, it had to be last night. Can we, can we talk about that idea for a sec? Yeah. Because something I've been wondering in the wake of this game, with certain players in particular who played well, um, Jaden Sancho played really well. Marcus Rashford played really well. They both scored goals. Anthony Martial came on as a sub, was really impactful in the second half, set up Rashford's goal. Um, I mean, depending, I saw different match ratings. Some had him at a seven because he was a sub. It didn't give him enough time. Others had him at an eight. Like those three guys in particular. Um, I, I wonder, again, like kind of what I was just saying with the Chelsea strikers, you know, they can't all be bad. Like similarly with this, Sancho, a highly rated signing that hasn't looked good so far. Rashford, this player who hasn't been the same over the last year and a half or so. Martial appears to be a bust for what Manchester United paid for him. Are they all bad or is this like what we talked about earlier this season? There's a crisis of confidence at that club. And you don't know what it is that can break something like that, whether it's a new manager's voice who believes in guys differently, whether it's just a night like this where for whatever reason things come together and they click and and you beat a club like Liverpool and what that can mean for a team. But some of these players that have been suffering from confidence issues, can that just suddenly change and all of a sudden they can be good again? Like, is it, could it be that simple or is there, mm-hmm. or is there more tactical issues? Are there uh, things? There's, way, there's, there's way more to it. Andrew. There really is like Sancho. We all know is a very talented player, but he played in a very specific system at Borussia Dortmund. And he went into an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer team, which was a bit more, Hey, you're a winger who beats players. Go do that. Like, so he struggled from what's gone on around him. We've seen enough of Anthony Martial to probably realize he may not be at the level of, 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 of Manchester United. Didn't exactly have a stellar loan period at Sevilla either. So, you know, I, I wouldn't have changed my opinion massively on Marcus Rashford either. I think he took his goal very well last night. Has he been playing under the standard that he can play at? Sure. But what, what last night was for me was Manchester United came together, realized that they had just been humiliated in, in epic fashion. I mean, we, last week we were trying to compare where does this rank on, in, in, in the pantheon of Premier League humil- humiliations and humiliations for Manchester United. We were going back decades talking about that uh, particular game against Brentford. So they came together. They realized they had to put in a performance. And, and the things that they did are the absolute basics, Andrew. The things they got right. They pressed and they hassled Liverpool. And Liverpool couldn't live with it. Now, I'll get to the Liverpool side. I'm not going to say anything yet. I will remain in the praise mode for Mm -hmm. Manchester United. The intensity was there. Andrew, all the second balls, they were snapping in. Early on, you you talked about uh, players who have, you know, been kind of maligned or, or, or commented negatively on for the last year or so in terms of like Rashford or Martial or... Sancho, how about Lissandro Martinez, who has spent a fortnight having his height, something he can't do anything about, analysed. When I saw him last night, the first ball he goes for, he, he wins it, goes out for throw, and, and on his way across, um, he, he shoulders into someone. Two minutes later, he's shouldering into Mohamed Salah. Like, he's upward. He's absolutely wired and pumped. Every single Manchester United player was absolutely at it. Now, these are, these are intangibles. 
I thought the press, like in terms of tactics, I thought the press was very good. Also, not having Cristiano Ronaldo in the team and having a busy and energetic Elanga to run at Trent Alexander-Arnold is just perfect. It reminded me of two years ago when Liverpool won 4-2. A bad Liverpool team, a team in a Liverpool in a slump, won 4-2 there. And who was on the left-hand side high up the field? who would have been potentially going at Trent Alexander-Arnold. It was Paul Pogba. Total mismatch in terms of energy. Elanga goes at him, and, and, and Trent Alexander-Arnold, who had a particularly bad night, is in trouble from the start. United got it right from the start. They should have been 2-0 up at halftime. Um, I think Liverpool are overall a better, uh, more well-drilled side. So it's natural that they'll have more possession. I, Liverpool are going to have more possession against this version of Manchester United until Ten Hag. It's going to take Ten Hag a lot longer than one season to really get his his feet under the table and settle into the side he wants. But United still look more likely to score. Liverpool didn't. They nullified Salah. They were able to keep Firmino quiet. Those intangibles, the, the intensity, winning the tackles and the quality of the press were what did it. Also, big call from Ten Hag to take Maguire out. Mm-hmm. People are saying not a big call. He should have come out. You still have to do it. He's England's captain. It's not captain. that easy to just put your captain no. on the bench when, when you're already maybe taking some heat for having Ronaldo on the bench. Um, um, Malassia, I thought, was brilliant. I thought, you know, Luke Shaw maybe on the bench. He may be, it may be really nervy times for them about their England futures when you could see the next few weeks you could see them sitting out for, well, definitely the league games you would expect. Uh, so this was really just energy. And it's not one of those games where they, they fed off the crowd because Andy Robertson said something interesting. He said in the warm-up, he'd never heard Old Trafford so quiet. So they had the protest uh, beforehand against the Glazers, a protest which not as, as impactful as the one in 2021 because they all came in and took their seats. You know, they oh, we're upset. Let's go and watch the game. So it fizzled out. And they were quiet because I would say most Manchester United fans, supporters inside that stadium were expecting a battering. So so the team was completely motivated from within. The team fed the crowd. The crowd in turn fed the team. The intensity was perfect. And that's how they won the game. It's That's how they won it for on the Manchester United side of things. And they deserve full praise for that because... I think they created a cup final vibe, Andrew. Not a cup final. Yeah, a cup final or a cup game vibe where you've got one game. There's no game after this if you don't win. One game, go out. And it was hyper-focused. And I think that hyper-focus really helped United. And they they deserve credit for it. Between Maguire and Ronaldo, I'm wondering which of those two, or if either, has... I mean, brighter future with the club is too strong. I don't know. Well, you're I'll not say gonna... that. Do, do either of, is there a way forward for either of them at this club right now? I, I think Ronaldo more so than Maguire. I know that's weird to say because we're all, we all have this, there's this desperate sense that Ronaldo needs to leave that club for his best interest, for the club's best interest, that there has to be a break from him because he's such a, there's such a gravitational pull towards that guy and he brings such heat with that. But I think, I still think if he can settle into a role that maybe he's not comfortable with today, but like winds up seeing the light at some point and sees this greater good, if there are games when United just like 
don't have it in attack and you throw him on at the half and he's willing to be that guy, I still uh, think that he's an effective player potentially in that way. Maguire, I just, it, it's been a while now of just subpar defending. And if Lissandra Martinez is going to come in and look like this, then I don't see a way back for him. Well, the way I read it differently, I think, I think with Maguire, you've got Varane who um, is injury prone at this point in his career. For me, it's after last night, I mean, there's no other sample size to look at because it, it's just last night's performance that should guide things going forward. It'll be Lissandra Martinez and uh, and Rafa Varane. But Varane is injury prone. So Maguire, there's every chance Maguire gets a run of games at some point. So in that sense, hey, it's a bit of a brighter future. Ronaldo, um, the rumors we're hearing is that United have said he can go now, but someone has to buy him. So there's going to be no release from the contract scenario Mm -hmm. and who on earth is buying this guy that is the problem and i don't think you want him around the locker room the dressing room united aren't fixed they're not fixed this was a a there's a real danger for you the danger coming out of this one for united is that this becomes this self-contained thing i mean ten Hag changed his principles last night a lot to kind of just get the win that's why I, i think you can talk about it in terms of being like this cup game win whatever we do principles be damned because we saw De Gea booting the ball long there was one short pass which was almost disastrous every other one was long so I mean that's not how Ten Hag wants to play all the time so um, I think Ronaldo just doesn't fit and you're talking about oh there's still a chance he'll come on and do X or Y I mean those chances are diminishing day by day really and why would you take off, say like, say Alanga starts, right? And it's, it's not working out for him, but he's going to give you energy and movement and bring on someone who will not give you any of those things. Who's just literally going to try and wheel himself into position in the penalty box to score a goal. I, I don't see how that works. Also, he has been disruptive, uh, a disruptive influence. He's apparently he's eating on his own now. Um, I, I want Maguire around is what I'm saying. And okay. I, and and they need to get rid of Ronaldo in the worst way possible. But where does he go is the question. Um, and I, I don't know where. But listen, this is a this is a base for United to build from. I don't want to comp- I, I I you know I know I said it, the danger of it becoming a self contained game where a cup final kind of atmosphere where you had to get the win and they got the win. They need to build on this now, and and it's a it's a great rung on the ladder. Well. They go on the road for their next two, but it's at Southampton and it's at Leicester City. Um, those you know, will be tougher. Those, um, maybe not Leicester City, but Southampton will be a tougher game for them. Potentially. I mean, Southampton, of course, had a good week this past week and you know, maybe have started a little better than certainly than what I thought. I was very down on them coming into the season. But those are winnable games for Manchester United. I know you say there's a cup final vibe to this, um, but no, they those have are, to make those sure are games they... that they believe they should win. And then those two... Um, lead up to Manchester United hosting Arsenal, which whew, the hype around that one potentially oh, if yeah. Arsenal stay hot and if United are able to get these next two wins. That that will give uh, that game will give Arsenal fans absolute nightmares going into it, especially if United go on a little run now. There'll it'll be a kind of a yeah, <laughs> yeah, dead, no, oof. If United go on a run now, their next two games, good results. That's a, that's a real tough one for Arsenal then. Oof. Um, let's see the Liverpool side of this JJ boy. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of things here. I Oof. feel like to to kind of pick at. Um, I mean, look, they're 
they're not cha- they're they're not creating the number of quality chances that we're used to seeing with them and it's kind of is it just easy lazy analysis to see that and be like well the Nuñez red card Sadio Mane no longer being there this makes sense you know get Nuñez back in the squad and maybe things will level out well yeah, I don't know. Just let's just deal with the chances first of all. So the XG philosophy so far this season, Liverpool have five point nine eight in XG. They've scored four goals, so that's six goals almost, four goals actual, and the opponents have five actual goals, but three point seven six of XG. Okay. Now let's let's not start with Mane. And let's not start with Nunes. They weren't there last night. Now, we can we can talk about how big a difference not having uh, Sadio Mane in this team w- will make. I think it's huge. I don't think Nunes is a, a replacement for him whatsoever, and I'm concerned about that transfer. But let's just talk about the team that took the field last night. And right before the game, a kind of a worrying chill went down my back. You know, Milner, Henderson, and Harvey Elliott in your midfield going to battle against a highly motivated Manchester United midfield. That that wasn't good. That wasn't good. Um, I think John Bruin tweeted how Milner has played against David Seaman, who's like in his mm. 50s, <laughs> and, uh, and, and played against Nigel Winterburn, who's like in his early 60s. You know, this guy has been around a long, long time. He should not be starting those kind of games. And it shows what a lot of us felt coming out of Paris um, last May, really, it was at the forefront of our minds, this midfield is too thin and we need to get reinforcements in. It's either too thin, too old, too injury prone. You look at the energy from the reverse fixture last season, the 5-0 win. Naby Keita, who marauded through the United midfield that time, not there. Um. There was no cover for Van Dijk and Gomez. There was massive gaps appearing in front of them and in the fullback positions because of how high Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold played. And so United at times, as Jamie Carrer pointed out, if United won the ball, turned it over, Andrew, they could create a chance immediately. They were in on goal. It happened too often in the first half. There was a lack of energy in that midfield, a lack of creativity. Um, I saw Salah play super wide when Nunez played in the charity shield, like, like a winger. And I thought, huh, that's interesting. Is that, that's not hardly going to be a regular thing. He did the same thing last night. He was like an old school winger. He was nowhere close to the goal to where he needed to be to score, except when he actually did score. He wasn't in, he wasn't tucked in enough so he could go at people, pop up in pockets, create problems for that United defense. Um, And then you had just, bizarre defending from Virgil van Dijk on the opening goal. I mean, it looks like Sancho has done a really good turn and he, he has, he's mugged Milner, but why isn't Virgil van Dijk moving out to close him down? I mean, he, he had to just expect that shot to come off right away. I just don't think he was expecting Sancho to hang on to the ball as long as we he can see him that he's going to turn Milner and you saw Milner afterwards. Yep. That was one of the most bizarre things from the game. Not he bizarre, put a finger but... right in his chest. Oh, he got right into Van Dyke twice in this game. Um, I, I just, 
Gavin Cooney tweeted this, uh, journalist with the football writer with 42. Fantastic win for United. Klopp spent all week trying to convince his players that United would be up for the game, but he clearly didn't get through. They'll improve when players get fit, but they now have to prove that this isn't one season too far for a great team. And it kind of feels like that. You look to the bench and all you saw was, or rather the stands, you saw Thiago. I'm going to call it right now, Andrew. Thiago, for as much as I love he's a Liverpool player and he can pass the ball, has been a disastrous signing mm. in terms of his fitness. Disastrous. He doesn't play. And he had to play half fit in Paris in the biggest game of the season last year. I mean, how much of this is... I mean, that performance was pretty listless. It's not that different from what we saw at the end of the season. The last home game against Wolves had to drag themselves over the line. They were not good in the run-in generally. Saw that in the draw against Tottenham. Um, and we saw it then in kind of come together in the defeat in the Champions League final in Paris. I mean, is this team just... Even the need... FA Cup final, which they won and was a triumphant day, it was nil-nil and they won it on penalties. I mean, they, well, they did, I mean, they didn't win... Yeah. All right. I don't. I don't want to go down the cup final road. It was great to win those cups, but you, you analyze those games. It's there wasn't right. too many goals scored. I, I yeah. just. I just think. I wonder. Is this team in need of major surgery? And the major surgery won't happen because of the model of the team. And 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 was spending eighty. I know Mane wanted to leave, but was spending eighty million on Darwin Nunes the area of need that needed to be addressed immediately? No. Well, center, it's, it'll be hard mid- to judge that until we see him get a greater no, run. I'll judge it right now. Center midfield needed to be addressed. Henderson, 30. Fabinho, clipping 30. Thiago, injured and, and, and 31. Milner, when Milner re-signed last season, Andrew, I did not think it was going to be for starting games. And he's had to, what, start two of the last three. It's, I think it's been neglected and and and... I don't know. I, I I've always felt this team has been getting more than more out of it, and and it's been an incredible sight to be able to keep pace with with City. I mean, keep, this is going back to what you just said there about the midfield. This is maybe more of a project signing, but like Carvalho's nineteen. Does he that was count? brilliant when he came on? Right. I'm saying does well, that you're saying they why would they not address the midfield? Does, does that not count with not, a, young, not, a, a young reinforcement like that? Who you know. Like you said they might need major surgery. Well, that might mean that you bring in a player who's 19 now, who you may not get, you may not reap the benefits of that right away. But a year, two years from now, he might. You know that that's kind of what you're talking about, is it not? Sure, and maybe this maybe this is the transition season that that Liverpool have been putting off for maybe the last few years of competitiveness. You know, um, yeah, uh, and like I don't want to step on. So next week is when we're going to do our jump to conclusions week. Yeah. I don't want to entirely step on that. Um, but there, regarding Liverpool, there's a conclusion that I just keep thinking about in my head. Um, and you even put you know, kind of a version of it on this rundown where you said, do we have to recalibrate our, recalibrate our expectations for Liverpool this season? Um, if that is kind of, if that sentence is kind of pushed into a jump to conclusions question as to, you know, whether our Liverpool, in fact, going to, are they the team most likely to contend with Manchester City or push Manchester City? I mean, I'll step on my answer for it next week right now. I believe they are not. I, I think that, like, think about the number of games they played last season. Like, the mm. absolute maximum number of games they could play. Think of the high-stress volume of those games. Like, yeah. 
coming down to the final day in the league, an FA Cup final, a Champions League final, I think it's asking a lot of that group, a relatively same group of players, a few tweaks here and there, but for the most part, it's pretty much the same group. Just the physical toll, certainly, but the mental toll also. I mean, they won that FA Cup final, but the two titles that they coveted the most, the league and the Champions League, they felt just short. Uh, I think it's tough to ask them to come right back again and be that same team again. I, I also uh, think as well, I don't know. There might be a structural change needs to happen as well. Uh, you know, in the first goal, um, Trent Alexander-Arnold, I, I think back to when Mourinho, I mean, this is Manchester United's first win over Liverpool in eight attempts. I think back to the, the 2018 defeat, and I think I'm thinking about the right game, where there's a ball in behind and it's flicked on and Alexander-Arnold's completely out of position and I think it's Rashford actually races in and scores. And you look last night, Alexander-Arnold's such a talented footballer but when he is in, in, in that pocket, he is so unaware defensively. It's, it's shocking and it doesn't look like it's getting any better. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't even sprint. You know, he just, the ball goes in behind he's like, oh, okay. Maybe it's time that he is pushed higher into a higher position. I know he takes up in ordinary play, in the phase of play where Liverpool have the ball, he often takes up a higher position in the midfield. But maybe it's time to look at an alternative there and move him up completely. Don't know. I Playing in midfield is very different all the time. You have to be better with your back to goal, uh, back to the opposition. It, it as If you watch Kevin De Bruyne, it requires uh, pretty, pretty specific skill sets. Uh, I don't know. I just feel, I feel there's something in what Gavin said that this side maybe now there's major surgery needed, and they can't, you know Van Dyke's performance last night was scary, um, but 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 even Klopp's decision making, like if Fabinho, I thought Fabinho was injured, but he was able to play almost 45 minutes, most of the second half. Surely you're starting Fabinho over Milner, surely. You're rejigging that midfield. And he didn't. Just um, very strange. And yeah. um, all look, classic cliche coming up here. All credit to United and all credit to them. But um, that was flat uh, from Liverpool. And uh, as Jamie Carrish said at full time, you know, really worrying. One final note on this. We should mention that Manchester United have signed Casemiro. We should indeed. And uh, Casemiro was over to the sideline in the middle of the broadcast, uh, to uh, in the middle of the Sky broadcast, I should say, to hug and embrace tightly and warmly Roy Keane. Roy Keane was uh, like some kind of deity last night on the sideline. During the warm-up, Ronaldo came over to talk to Roy Keane during the broadcast. Just came over. Yeah, he kind of shunned Jamie Carragher. Shunned Carragher, which was funny. Um, and then didn't... Um, like asked Roy Keane where he's been. That's that. That was the one question which was interesting. Where have you been? And he kind of sh- and uh, Keane c- calling him not not calling him Cristiano or having a nickname for him and saying, uh, "Good to see you, Ronaldo." <laughs> Ronaldo, like the full full title, and uh, yeah, then greeting Casemiro like that. It was something else and an acknowledgement of I Casemiro. Maybe it's game recognizes game. Casemiro is probably the best center midfielder or the most accomplished center midfielder they've had 
since they had Roy Keane 15 years ago. That's probably, that is, it's not probably true. It is true. Who else was there? Michael Carrick? That's it. So maybe it was, uh, so Casemiro comes in, Andrew, and um, I think he's a good sign-in, but financially could be really, really burdensome down the line, although maybe to clubs like Manchester United, that kind of money doesn't matter. Uh, but it's, it's, I think it's a good sign-in. I mean, it, how they got to him was chaotic and messy and very expensive, but I, I mean, it feels like they've upgraded there. Yeah, well, I think they have upgraded, but I think that was also coming from a low bar. Um, but I was reading Guillaume Balague in the BBC. He he raises a lot of questions about this move. He was not as high on it. He said in, in talking about Casemiro, he said he lacks the ability to control the spaces behind him, primarily because he's quite slow on the turn. This could prove expensive against teams such as Arsenal and Manchester City, who play a lot of inside passes and find pockets of space. Um he, he he goes deeper if you want to read more on it, but he sure, raises a lot of questions about Casemiro on just how effective he'll actually be uh, in this role for United. And as we've seen, when you go, when you move from and not disrespecting the other leagues, but when look just like with Koulibaly, when you move from a slower league to a much faster league, you know it takes time to adjust. And well, and and part of it too is the players that are around you. Right. Um, you know, Guillaume, he, he continues here. He says Madrid's compact setup disguised that weakness in Casemiro's game. With less quality around him in the Brazilian national side, he was less influential. That could be a problem with United when faced with teams that pressure high if he's expected to drive with the ball. You know, his, the midfield around him at Real Madrid, I mean, peak Modric, peak Tony Kroos, and Casemiro. Like, yeah. Oof. <laughs> God, they probably should be talked about in. in like the highest of, of lights when we refer to great midfields of all time. Cause that's, that's ridiculous what they, what Real Madrid had for all those years there. Ken he's coming into it. a much, this is a much different midfield now that he's coming into it at Manchester United oh. at a more advanced age. For sure. And in terms of the advanced age, Ken early was talking about how, you know, Camavinga and, and uh, Tumani, <laughs> they're the kind of players United should be buying, you know? Right. <laughs> they're, they're buying legacy with, with Casemiro and hoping he's got more, more, a little bit left in the tank, but really like once upon a time, those were the players United would be going for, but I suppose times have changed now. Yeah. I'll tell you what, let's go ahead. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll do a quick whip around of some of the other big games from over the weekend, like Newcastle and Manchester city, a couple others that we got to mention as well. So still more caught offside to come. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back now on caught offside on a nice, nice summer day here, late August. Um, no school in session, obviously, yet for kids. At least most kids. Some places around the country, I'm finding out, have been in school for two weeks. Did you know this? Like in Colorado, my cousin uh, went back to school this week. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I keep that? up. I keep up with all the school, uh, all the kids going back to school. Yeah, yeah. You have a calendar from different. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Why would I care about this? Well, I I mention it because can you hear anything in the background? Because my son uh, Jack is having a play day right now, and it's it's chaos in my house. No, I can't hear a thing. Oh, um, and love this, uh, love this microphone. Yeah, it's awesome. Doesn't uh, pick no, it up. Just I my really, voice. I really can't. I can't hear anything. But I do give you credit to be able to to bring out such quality broadcasting. I mean, imagine Keep my Howard, focus under intense pressure. Yeah, imagine if Howard Cosell or 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 um or Buck or Jim Rome or any of those greats uh, had had a play date in the background while they were trying to broadcast. Can you imagine that? 
True professionalism under the face of intense adversity. Newcastle, Manchester City. What a game. Early candidate for match of the season. What a Sunday people had. If you were just on your couch, you know, drinking coffee, eating eggs and watching Leeds, Chelsea, and then Newcastle, Manchester City, you were living life right. Uh, Initial question that I wanted to ask from this that I think all of America and maybe the world wants to know is Matt Ritchie in some way related to Eddie Howe? Oh, uh, I actually seeing him next to Eddie Howe as they were preparing for that sub. I thought, wait, is that like a? It's got to be his older brother. Something. It was. I, it was jarring to me. I think they come from the same uh, football factory. <laughs> yes, yes, they were. They were printed out of some kind of factory, put on an assembly line, pieced together, and how here they are at St James Park. Um, speaking of Eddie Howe. You you asked a question about a coming out party. Was this a coming out party for this kind of this version of Newcastle under this manager? Boy, that, that's an interesting one. My gut is to say yes. It's weird to say that in a game that they didn't win. Yeah. Um, maybe their 2-0 win against Arsenal late last season could be viewed that way in a game that Arsenal desperately needed. Uh, I mean, like their coming out party, it wasn't... If you go back to last season and you look at, what was it, like an, a seven or eight game stretch where they just ran off a ton of wins in a row after that horrible start. None of them were really marquee wins in the sense of beating, you know, like, like a a Chelsea or a city or someone like that. It, you know, it was kind of more like crystal palaces and Everton's and games like that. But I don't know. I I sort of viewed that as their coming out party when they were, we were all, you know, the world was having a laugh at the possibility of them going down. And then in the face of that, with this new manager that we had a lot of questions about, they won a lot of games and got right quickly. Uh, but if you're talking about like an individual, one singular performance, yeah, you might you might want to look at this one and say that, yeah, if this is if this is what they can be, you know, and they haven't even really bedded in all the, the big new signings, expensive signings that we're expecting down the road, then, yeah, Newcastle could be dangerous. They certainly could. And I guess, I guess the reason, you know, when you're in the headspace of these are the two state owned clubs, so. That's the headspace I was in when I said coming out party for for Newcastle because you're always going to judge them probably against Man City. They're the two richest clubs in the league. I mean, potentially. They've got the most amount of financial backing. So maybe that's why I said that. I, I thought they were really, really good. And again, it was, it was this idea of control. And uh, Pep Guardiola talked after the game about doing things... I know I'm paraphrasing, doing things too quickly in the attacking half and that trying to find Erling Haaland with a, with a pass. And you'll remember the, the go-ahead goal for Newcastle was scored by Callum Wilson. And immediately before that, a pass had been played through to the feet of Erling Haaland and he didn't get there. The goalkeeper got it. And that started the passage of play that led to the goal for Newcastle. And it was, it was just interesting to me how much control and... Uh, passing and that very Guardiola style of play was huge in this game because I I think it's 1-0, Phil Foden is going down the left and you can see Haaland through the centre and again, great directing from the TV cameras. <laughs> But if Foden squares that to Holland, it's a definite goal. It's 2-0. And I, it takes the air out of that stadium, takes the air out of Newcastle. And I think City go on to have a more controlled performance. But he doesn't. And 
Guardiola absolutely loses his mind on the sideline. Typical, just like Tuchel, again, these kind of control freaks. And um, and that that to me was a turning point in the game. Um, I, I actually, so I went back and I watched the game and again this morning. And as much as I thought Alan San Maximin was really, really good the first time, and I did, I did see him give away the ball an awful lot in that game too. So he still occupies that uh, frustration player um, moniker for me. But one thing I did notice that was, uh, I think my favorite pass of the season. Happened. Andrew, it's just, now it does take a little nick of um, Willock's heel on the way through, but that doesn't matter. De Bruyne is moving with the ball, Andrew. And for a second, Willock is side on. And for a split second, Willock gets square, thus opening his legs. And De Bruyne threads the needle. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Absolutely like jaw-dropping. I'm... Like, there's so much to despise about Manchester City, but you, you can't look at Kevin De Bruyne and think, oh my God, just brilliant. Yeah. In, in kind of watching this game, um, you know, soccer obviously is not a one-on-one -on -one sport, but there are certain matches where you kind of get two players that seemingly take a game over on each side to a point where you, you kind of just can't take your eyes off of them in particular. I know you, you found some holes to poke with St. Maximin, and that's fair. That's true. But to me, it was this was De Bruyne versus St. Maximin in this game. Fair. I mean, that is fair. Um, he Like, St. Maximin was breathtaking at times when he ran at that defense. And, and for, the, for the second, for the go-ahead goal for, for Newcastle, he was absolutely brilliant. Like, brilliant. Um, and I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is he next in line to Adama Traore? for the award for why don't you play like that every week? Yes. Yes. I mean, that's a great call by you. It's a great callback to when I said that. That was like two or three years ago about Adama Traore. Mm. Um, yeah, he fits the bill. And this was really interesting. Um, I don't know if you saw this. So I'm going to read here from the Daily Mail. Um, they write here, it was also telling when after the City game, he, Eddie Howe, said of St. Maximan, it was his best performance since I've been managing him. Few would disagree, especially given the Frenchman had infuriated rather more infuriated rather more than he had inspired in 2022, a period which has returned just one goal. But it was equally interesting when St. Maximan later responded by saying to the manager, uh, the manager said it was maybe the best performance because I gave a good ball or two and they scored. But sometimes you can give a good ball and they don't score. I think I think Alan St. Maximan likes Alan St. Maximan a whole lot. <laughs> I don't think he was ready to hear that from Eddie Howe. And I don't think Eddie Howe, it wasn't criticism of St. Maximan, but I think St. Maximan believes he's great every week. And don't, I don't know that he is. Mm, Not like that. Don't Newcastle have a, a real, like the last 20 years, they've had just some mercurial talents. You know, th those kind of guys where I don't know what I'm getting from this guy today, but it might be spectacular. Like David Ginola, um, Alan St. Maximum in particular, and like Ben Arfa, mm. <laughs> you know, fellas like that who just, I suppose, Alberto Solano was thrilling, but he was more consistent. But uh, Craig Bellamy, they've just had these guys who have just kind of winger types or dribbling types, and and you don't know what you're going to get from them. Yeah, they're uh, that was a that was a tremendous game of football. Two and, other uh, two other quick notes on it. I just want to say about Manchester City. Yeah, when they did tie this game up, 
how much time was still left? Like 25 minutes or so? There was a lot of time. I, it was... I thought for sure they were going to win by two, at least at least a goal. I did not think there was any way that Newcastle was going to be able to stem that tide. We see it so many. We saw it at the end of last season in the final game of the year when they when they beat Villa. When that tidal wave comes, they can break you. And I got Newcastle broke to a certain extent. They walked out of there with one point instead of three, having blown a two-goal lead. Um, but to at least have salvaged that told me at least something about Newcastle, that they were able to – they got knocked down with a haymaker and they gathered themselves enough to still grab that point. Uh, so I give him credit for that. Um, also, two Kieran Trippier notes, his free kick. Oh, man. I mean, that's – that's Spectacular. And did serious you just... James Ward-Prowse vibes there with that one. Did you see Fabian Schaar wanted it? And, and <laughs> I didn't and like, notice that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because I was again, I watched it. I don't know why. Why do you watch games twice, JJ? Jesus. But he, um, you can see Trippier going. No, I'll take it. I'll take it. I mean, he, and he has doesn't to know from that spot. That's just like tailor made for him. But he doesn't look at Schaar. He's like laser focused. He can see a gap and he knows where he's going to put it. And he put it right there, right there. And I suppose the other talking point is the red card, which was rescinded, yes. which I, which I think was absolutely spot on. I thought the I referee agree. got it perfect. It was a side tap to the knee. He 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 did go to take him out because he said to Kevin De Bruyne again. You can see him mouthing to Kevin De Bruyne. Um, I had to do it, Kevin. Kevin, I had to do it. And he walks over to him and says, "Because you know, I had to take you down." And De Bruyne is like, "Yeah, I know that, but it was high, and it was high, but it's a tap. It wasn't yeah. the bottom of the boot. It wasn't studs." He didn't scissor him. It was it, there was no chance. I mean, if he falls over, there's always at speed. There's always a chance of an injury, but it was not going to be caused by uh, by what uh, Trippier did. I thought the referee uh, good use of VAR. I would agree. It's hard for me to to look at a play like that. Like to me, it, it, yeah, it was super cynical. Um, yeah. You don't, you know, I'm not. No one's rooting for plays like that. But in terms of a red card, like I didn't deem it. Me personally, I didn't deem it to be dangerous. Like I it didn't wasn't. think that that I didn't think that's a play where Kevin De Bruyne could get hurt on on the way that Trippier went at him there. So if that's how I feel that it wasn't necessarily dangerous, then I think a red is way too harsh. Um, so I thought that they did the right thing by looking at it and rescinding it. Uh, but yeah, really fun one at St James Park. Great atmosphere. Uh, two good teams that were playing at a pretty high level. So that was. Uh, that was good stuff. Should we go around the league now with just a, a quick whip around, JJ, of some of the other marquee fixtures from over the weekend? Well, I put this rundown together, so I demand it. Uh, Leicester and Southampton. This is um, this has become a little bit of a worrisome start for Leicester City. Uh, yeah, it definitely has. However, and again, I don't want to... Next week is jump to conclusions week, so I don't want to jump over things, but you definitely look at Southampton and how they've steadied the ship and think maybe particularly in your uh, relegation predictions, mm-hmm. senior Gundling, that you might be swapping Leicester for Southampton. At I'm this not point. doing anything yet. Okay. Don't worry about me. Mind your okay. own business. All right. Not yet. Not yet. Um, let's see, JJ. Tottenham getting it done against Wolves. I mean, that's really all you can say about it. What an awful first half for Tottenham. Um, I guess, like, with Spurs so far this season... I think it's interesting that, like, look at all of their games so far, the, these three games that they played. Um, now, yeah, granted, they, in their first game, they did beat Southampton 4-1. But remember how that started. They were down 1-0 after 12 yes. minutes. Uh, look at the next week against Chelsea. 
that first 45 minutes. What did I say about it last week? That that was one of the worst first halves I've seen them play, certainly under Conte, maybe among any manager over the last, you know, couple seasons. I mean, that was that was a brutal watch where they couldn't get out of their own half. And then this past weekend, they were I mean, there were some boos around White Hart Lane after that first half. What is going on here? I guess it's a good sign that they like they're unbeaten, two wins and a draw from these first three games without putting together a good 90 minutes. So I mean, that tells you, I guess that tells you that there's there's a lot of great talent in the squad and that whatever Conte's doing in that locker room at halftime, it's working because they are coming out a different side uh, for these second halves. But it's a little it's a little bit unnerving, I would say, to see them not be able to put together a solid 90 minutes across these first three games. So that's something to to keep an eye on. Also should mention Harry Kane, 250th goal for the club. Uh, what a player. And that was a great goal. The, the flick on from Perisic, that's... That's a well-worked corner right there is what uh, is what that was. It was and, they, and not not for the first time we've seen uh we've seen Kane score that exact goal. Yep, just kind of lurking at the back post. Just knows where to be. Set pieces are have been Tottenham's friends so far. Getting the late goal off a corner kick against Chelsea and then they get the winner against Wolves. Uh so not an amazing start to the season for them but uh but good enough for the moment. Uh JJ West Ham losing to Brighton. Not yeah, a great start for the Hammers. Terrible start. Um, they Look, the worst thing, after coming off two defeats in a row, the worst thing you can have is to play Brighton right now in the Premier League because they cause you so many problems. They're such a well-drilled side, but you're still expected to win. So <laughs> you can't win against these guys. West Ham will still have been favourites and their fans will still have gone to the London Stadium at the weekend expecting to win. But that is not the case. Uh, Brighton are in a much better position uh, then West Ham right now, um, they need to they need to snap out of this and quickly, uh, and try and get some some form back. And again, they've got players bedding in, but uh, I I want to talk about Brighton again. The the second Brighton goal was such a good goal, Trossard's goal. What a lovely move! What a great finish! And um, what a flick from Pascal Gross! Oh, just falling over around the corner in you go. I mean, Trossard operating in that midfield position. Um, 107 appearances for Brighton, 19 goals, 11 assists. He's only 27. Look, I'm not one of these people that says, oh, go out, every club should lose their best player and that these are just feeder clubs. But he is, I mean, he could slot into any team in the league. and, And we hear a lot of talk about other players, but we rarely hear about him. Uh, let's see. Everton and Nottingham Forest settle for a draw. Feels like, uh, you know, because Forest, I know Everton dominated that game, but it, it, you know, it feels like disaster averted because Forest went one nil up in the 80th minute, 10 minutes left. You can imagine the stress around the ground. Um, and Everton pulled it out of the fire, but I think we're moving on in the news pretty quickly. Anthony Gordon looks like according to The Athletic, has asked to leave Everton. The price tag for him keeps going up and up. Am I... And Chelsea said they'll pay $60 million. Am I missing something? Like, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not saying he, he's good. He's definitely good, and he's young. Like I understand the potential there, but I, I keep seeing the numbers potentially for his move, and I just, I'm kind of stunned by it. Yeah, it's, um, it is stunning. And if I'm Everton, I want to keep him if I have nobody else lined up to bring in. But if I can get rid now and get 60 million in and get a player in, 
I would do that. But I would want to have identified one to replace him. Otherwise, don't sell him because Everton are too thin as it is, even if I don't think he's he's that special of a talent. Yeah. Um, and you look too, like I, I, you look at Everton and you think about what they could have in attack and you see that, you know, it looks like Deli Alley is headed off to Turkey. I can't believe JJ. Deli Alley is 26 years old and no one in the world really wants him. There's delays now in, the, in his possible move to Besiktas. Like this guy won back to back young player of the year in the Premier League and he's only 26 and no one wants him. I just, I, most people you know, thought, I can't get over it. Most people thought at this point it would be a fight to keep Barcelona and Real Madrid from signing him. Or he'd be there yeah. already. And like, it's it's really incredible. It's wild to me. We'll need uh, to let's, do a deep dive on that some other time. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Uh, you could probably write a book on what's going on there. Um, let's see. Uh, Gerard and Aston Villa, this is, I mean, another team getting off to a, a start that, for me at least, I did not expect. I thought they'd be better than this. Uh, it's three wins in 14, Andrew. This is not good. This is not good. And uh, fans beginning to get on Jared's back a little bit. Uh, question marks over his tactics. Question marks over, as we've seen, we talked about last week about the way he's treated Tyrone Mings, who is now going to be his general on the field because of the injury to Diego Carlos. Um, they look bereft of ideas. They've spent a lot of money. A lot of money. And there's talk that the reason that Villa are in the situation they're in, or Gerard rather, is in the situation he's in, is that he lost his um, assistant manager to become the manager of QPR. And that this guy really was the brains behind things at Rangers. And now that Gerard is unmoored from him, untethered from his guidance at Villa, things are falling apart. Yeah, not... And you laughed situation. at me saying he could be gone uh, by Christmas. Did I laugh? I don't remember laughing at that. Oh, you I laughed you at you said... saying that Eric Ten Hag was on the hot seat. <clears throat> no, that, you... that I laughed at. No, you legitimately laughed at me when I said that, Gerard, you said he's not going to be gone by Christmas. And I said, there's a good chance that he could. Uh, the head coach, of course, was uh, Michael Beale. So. Gotcha. Um, let's see. Did you have a mailbag? I know we're up against it here. I right, Listen, I have one thing uh, that I wanted to talk about before. We, uh, we started a Tim ream wave in our season opening pod after his performance against liverpool and by god we are going to ride that wave andrew um fulham had a 3-2 win over brentford and this was written in football 365 about ream's performance they talk about how ream didn't work out in the 2020-21 campaign only played seven games um and that seemed to be that for ream at the top level but uh, this is what they write. Reem has been superb in Fulham's opening three games this season, captaining them to two draws and a win. He has made the most interceptions, 15 of any Premier League player so far, as a more combative rather than passive approach is paying dividends. So the Reem uh, wave continues, and the I'm Ream. wondering if Greg is going to get on that wave. Yeah, I saw Alexi Lalas a couple of weeks ago. Um, had like a kind of a Twitter thread going of what his U.S. team would look like, the players who were being considered at each position. And he didn't have Tim Ream listed as a center back possibility. So I tweeted him. I said, is, is that something he can play his way into? I, I have not heard back. I have not heard back. I'm saddened by that. I'm disappointed by it. But I, I just find it interesting that, you know, like I respect Alexi Lalas' opinion tremendously on all things U.S. men's national team. Um, and not like... I'm just surprised like he's still not in the under consideration category for a lot of people who are who are seemingly in the know. Yeah, because just, they keep I just wonder about that. They keep thinking of him in that left back position. Think of him as a center back and then your mind will change, man. 
Right. Expand your mind. Expand oh. your mind. By the way, we had Alexi in studio. How can he how can he not respond to you? Where's the respect there? I should have tweeted from the show account. Oh, probably. He doesn't know who Andrew Gumbling is. No. no. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just very curious about it. I'll tell you what, we've got to go. Uh, I know there were things on this podcast that some people probably wanted us to get to that we did not. I'm speaking directly to you, Arsenal supporters. We have not ignored you. Here's the deal. Next week is our Jump to Conclusions week. You guys look amazing so far this season. Something tells me you're going to come up next week in a big way. That's all I'll say. Uh, it's always one of my favorite podcasts a year, our Premier League Jump to Conclusions week pod. So we'll do that next week. We have to apologize to the animals. The animals did a mailbag. That's going to have to be used next week. I know. They keep, they've got a thread going each week for mailbags, and we have not done a good job honoring that. I promise we will do that as well. Uh, we'll make a few promises next week. One to the Arsenal supporters, one to the animals on Reddit who have created mailbag threads that they want us to get to. We'll do that as well. And I, I need to make a promise to MLS fans because we're getting into the business end of the season. And I do have some things to say, like what a San Jose, LAFC, what a game that was. Uh, Cade Cowell, who has not had an amazing season in the way that I kind of hoped he would in the beginning of the year, scoring a huge goal in a in a big win for San Jose. So, yeah, a little bit more on MLS next week as well. There's, we're just in that spot right now where like all these seasons are kicking into high gear, and it's just there's a lot. There's just a lot going on. Yeah, and you're on vacation. The best we right can. Now. All right, you're you, you're on vacation right now, so this is definitely a vacation pod. We'll be in studio next week. We'll have the imaging. We'll have all the sounds. It's going to be beautiful. This is. This is just to tide you over, really. By the way, come on, this was me, good stuff. This I was I, I enjoyed it tremendously, but um, you know, maybe we're in a transition season pod right now. Oh my god. You... August twenty-third, twenty twenty-five, folks. I'm telling you. <laughs> Before we get out, just yeah. quickly, just quickly, um, someone asked me, did I go for a, my usual sad walk after a, a particularly harrowing Liverpool defeat? I did not. I went for a sad cycle. I got on my bike and I cycled over to uh, to Hartley's in uh, in Bedsty, and I sat there and I had a pint of Guinness and I thought about I thought about what had happened, and then I cycled home. The sad cycle—it's the way to go. I know it kind of defeats the purpose of the sad walk or the sad cycle to videotape it because then you become too aware. Um, but I, I would like some sort of documentation of this, even if it's like one of our listeners who's kind of like following you and you don't know that they're there that i, I want to see what goes on on this sad walk do you really do you know just kind of sit there and stare off blankly into the distance because that's what i'm picturing I, I i so i tied up my bike outside <laughs> i tied up my horse but i went into the bar to get because they have lovely guinness in there i went in to get a guinness and i go to the corner of the bar and there's a mets fan right she, there's no tvs in there so she's watching the mets game on her phone or a baseball game. I'm assuming it was the Mets. She was wearing a Mets jersey. And she turns around and she sees me. I'm still in my Liverpool jersey. And she goes, oh, how did they do today? I'm like, what? Are you serious? Well, what do you expect? And I was like, oh, they had a bad defeat. Oh, I know. And then I felt like saying, well, why did you ask? But I didn't. I didn't. Well, she's probably a United supporter. Well, some of your Liverpool good time buddies have given me quite a bit of shtick in the wake of Tottenham Liverpool defeats for us so i don't want to hear that all right you had it coming you've had a long time living at, at the top here that's the name of, that's the title for the podcast you had it coming <laughs> well there you have it folks hey this was fun i enjoyed this very much like we said we'll be back next week with a jump to conclusions week pod for the premier league hey to you i say check you later fun boy see you later man take care you've been listening to the caught offside soccer podcast 